0: Welcome back to the Power Passion Podcast. Uh, today is Monday and of course it's
1: always a thrilling time, especially with our news cycle. We're here to go with our good guest today, it's
0: uh, James. How are we doing James? Not bad, yourself? Yeah, not too bad my man.
1: Um, tell us a little bit about yourself.
0: Well, I'm President of the Balls Politics Club here, I guess that's also kind of why I'm here today. Of course. And, um, yeah, basically just hanging around, typical student. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just came from work so I'm tired. but. Um, yeah. We appreciate yeah. It? Yeah. Yeah. Taking time out of your busy schedule on the man. Yeah. yeah. But, but with the us. thing the thing that I love
2: about the, the Curtin Politics Club is it's very very inclusive of all people across the political spectrum, isn't mm-hmm. it? Oh is, yeah. That's
0: always despite to be like most well, the politics clubs here, I think the only real one was the um the Curtin Labour Club kind of darting the us a little bit. Yeah. That was uh, that was our fault. But um <laughs> you've got like the main one's a social, social alternative and that's yeah, the social substitute. alternative. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so it's a one-sided
1: argument almost every time.
0: Basically, yeah. Um, I do. Someone that, from a social alternative Murdoch. I asked one of my friends from Labor because he was wearing a Labor shirt. And that's, right? Oh, do you support the imprisonment of refugees? And we're like, no. no. Oh, wow. Yeah, wow. <laughs> I,
1: I think that's an important political distinction to uh, take note of. Is that not every policy that Labor or Liberal does? Makes you know the person want to vote for that particular party. Well, we just go for yeah. uh, certain points and issues. Of...
2: Yeah, it's it's really superficial talking points, and no one yeah. actually dissects the policies. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. but James, I know goes uh, a little bit further with James, that. James,
1: uh, policies. Let's um let's talk about a upcoming election. I mean, what do both sides of the political aisle present?
0: Well, think um you got the the coalition for their typical economic ma- management um they're presenting. But, Which um, is uh, sometimes less than desired. We well, say? in economic circumstances like this, it doesn't seem to be as effective as, like, as would typically be expected for mm. the, the um, Liberal Party. Yeah. I think um, circumstances like these, this is why Labor is seen as the alternative when the Liberals mm. are seen as a nat- natural governing party. As yeah. they, Well, just as they are, I think um, when the economy stagnates, or it begins to fall, that's usually when Labor comes in and tries to build from the Build up from that instead of the typical status quo, you know, lower taxes. Yeah, yeah. it's it's almost like a running joke uh,
2: within Australian politics that we need a Labor government from time to time to change anything. Yeah, because it, like you said, it's a very conservative nature of the yeah. of the Liberal Party mm. and it's it's very fiscally conservative, and that's why we have um, a quote unquote budget. But necessarily, that doesn't mean they are actually enacting any kind of social change per se.
0: Mm. Totally. You see, like, with that twenty-three year stretch they had from nineteen forty-nine to nineteen seventy-two, what really happened under Menzies? Despite everything keeping the same, very slow sort of boom. Yeah. Then you go to Whitlam, then everything's like bang, bang, bang. Then. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, how would you compare uh, today's politics with yesteryear's politics? Are we we seeing a lot of leadership change, almost like a, a revolving door? Do you think the the public has become Weary of politics and uh, a bit tired of the of the system in, in and of itself.
0: Well, yeah, I can, um, kind of, circumstances like these, how we've had since John Howard left office, mm. it's been roughly the same time from 1996 from when he came to office, since he's having Howard as Prime Minister and not having Howard, mm. and since then, in that um, 11 and a half years, we've had, let's see, Rudd, Gillard, Rudd again, Abbott, um, Turnbull. Turnbull, now Morrison, mm-hmm. and we're probably going to get shortened mm-hmm. soon as well, so now the one. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it's this sort of revolving door, nothing's certain. I think that's pe- why people generally distrust politicians, and yeah. because it's usually the person who wants the leadership launching mm-hmm. the spill. That's it. Uh, it's, it seems to give this sort of idea that they're in it for themselves, they just want mm-hmm. that job, and they don't care how they're going to get it. Yeah.
2: Coming back to, uh, we've got obviously Shorten who came to his notoriety through the trade unions and the the whole, uh, I think there was a coal mining incident with the, the two-trapped... Uh, Beaconsfield. Te- Beaconsfield, that was the one. Yeah, absolutely. So that that was where he kind of assumed more of an influence within the Labor Party and kind of rose to public notoriety. Mm-hmm. I'm just curious about both of your perspectives of whether... Shorten, in comparison to Scott Morrison, in terms of a like likability factor. Now, needless like to stress the point, it's very interesting to see who prefers the leader. Obviously, Labour's probably the most preferred party coming into the election, yeah. but the Liberal leader seems to be... I don't know, a little bit more of a likeable face. I don't really know how to put it. I don't
0: know how to put it, yeah. But he's
1: not the most likeable face. That's true, that's side. true. I it's I it's, it's uh, the
0: lesser of two evils to an extent. Dude. Well, I mean, I was... With, on that, I remember it was a Friday during a lecture when um, we had that last leadership vote, mm-hmm. and I was just sitting there going, for Christ's sake, not Peter Dutton. Not him. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. Yeah, yeah. There's certainly
1: some uh, dislikable figures in both parties. I mean, Peter Dutton's a great example, and I mean... Uh, Senator Anning is uh, probably another very disliked figure in the I don't box. think
0: anyone likes Fraser Anning but yeah. Fraser Anning. Uh, yeah, I mean, possibly you get... yeah, some other unusual types of people. Well, to... Let's just think of it this way. How Bob Catter. Mm. He found the National Party not conservative enough so he made his own party. Yeah. But Fraser Anning came into his um, power mm. after leaving One Nation. Mm. Then for Bob Catter to go, you're too, mu- you're too right-wing for us, yeah, you're out uh, of the that's party. That's pretty fucking right-wing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... He was in One Nation, obviously that wasn't far enough for him. Mm. He left them some. There's some of behind game. that. And even you appalling hands and condemning him, you know you've done yeah, a really you've fucking repair. You that's, that's fucked repaired. up pretty hard. That's yeah. a huge
2: <laughs> thing today. Uh, I'm very curious as to see the perspective that you have, James, with the rise of kind of One Nation. Uh, and I suppose whether that is concerning or maybe just, just a nationalist, very conservative look on immigration, mm. and I, I suppose. Pauline Hansen is politically incorrect, but she's very. She represents, I suppose, the boomers she, to an extent.
1: She also has become a bit of almost a political dinosaur. Is yeah. There, is there much future with the One Nation
2: Party? Is there. There a... seems to be a lot of support for it recently. Mm. I, I, I'm I not 100% concerned because it's always been this, this two party system that we've yeah. got, but it does go to show that there probably is a need for. A, a third party alternative besides the yeah. Greens because the Greens obviously have to correlate and you know uh, swing one way or the other politically
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. I think um, with one well most of the Greens the Greens were for since Bob Brown introduced him I think it was back in the 1980s they're usually seen as the alternative protest vote but now um, you've got people who maybe sit on the right who go I don't like Liberal Labour so I'm going to vote for someone else and vote for the Greens but now they've got Here's this is this um, alternative that suits me better? Yeah, Pauline Hanson. Exactly. So yeah. will go with her. That. That's what
2: I was, That's the point I make. Yeah, people will vote for the alternative if they they feel gridlocked uh, into one of the two parties. But the problem with that, obviously, is the preference seems to go back to the two parties anyway. That's it. Yeah. Depending on uh, the you know the sway of, of votes and who wins the, the course, majority. Yeah. yeah. And
1: of course, that's just the like way our system is run. It's like mm. you're. Your first alternative is not
2: necessarily the one that will get into power. I to have through. to, I have to mention the shirt, James. I recognise the nice. figure, but, but we've, we've obviously got viewers from all around the globe, like watching. Uh, can we do, give a brief explanation of who we've got we, in golf? We trust is what the shirt says. Golf, <laughs> golf.
0: Well, goth- well, for those who don't know, our man make golf? Um, um. So basically, we mentioned the twenty-three years of liberal na- national or well, then country government. They just kind of stagnated and they started that whole change of leadership, change of leadership with McMahon and John Gorton and sure. all the rest. And then mm-hmm. Gov Whitlam came to power. It was kind of sweating a victory with the It's Time campaign. I think by then it was just time for a change. The world ended a recession in 1971 and the Liberal Party didn't seem very interested in doing that. They were more focused on giving the Springboks the Royal Australian Air Force because the transport workers you didn't want to... Um, support a racially segregated team, but, um... And, then, yeah, basically, Gough Whitland came in, introduced sweeping economic reform. The first um, things he did when he came to office were ordained equal pay for women, and, um, ended conscription and withdrew Australian troops from Vietnam because that was... <laughs> you know what happened there. All things that we can support. Wasn't exactly... I'm exact pretty exact sure... Thing? Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: all, all those changes, I'm, I'm 100% on board. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. It was... It was um, Yes, Gough was also involved in the Constitutional Crisis,
0: right? Yeah, so basically, um, Goffield's problem was he had all the right ideas, but he just didn't manage them sufficiently well. I don't think that was necessarily his fault. I yeah. mean, he picks him Because by the time Labour came into power, there was only one sitting member who had served in government in Labour, and that was Kim Beasley Sr. Sure. And he only caught the tail end of the Chifley government. And um, this is what happens when you're in... Opposition for twenty three years, yeah, yeah. and um, <laughs> yeah, so a lot of um, his cabinet ministers were inexperienced and had much experience in government, including golf himself. He entered parliament I think nineteen fifty four, which was I think five years into Menzies' you know almost centuries long reign, mm-hmm. and um, the kind of they didn't bat- manage the budget very well. and There was an election nineteen seventy four, and the Senate um, became uh, it was. That's an instruction, right? Yeah. Yeah. A very hostile towards the government and come, yeah. 19, come the 1975-6 budget. They based Malcolm Fraser's legal Liberal Party said, You are not passing this budget, I don't care. And um, basically came very close to being resolved with the crossbench in the Senate. But um, a lot of people have a lot of opinions on this, including myself. John Kerr basically sacked the entire government, he said. Um, you can't get supply, so you're out. And he commissioned Fraser as prime minister, and sort of ended. That's um, it. Yeah.
2: I, I want to simplify this, just just for my own for my own purposes and for everyone else's view. Yeah. So essentially, what we had was someone trying to impose budget reform in the House of Representatives and getting blocked by the Senate. Yeah. And because of this obstruction, there was a result where. The governor general went ahead and sacked the prime minister of the, of the time. Mm. Now, the governor general is essentially a, a folly to the constitutional monarch mm. and the queen, yeah. which is which uh, is interesting because it also begs the question whether we should ever become a republic. Yeah, but that's exactly what we're talking about: is that. It was the first thing. Was I think is it the only time over history that that's actually um, happened? It happened once in New South Wales in 1932 under Jack Lang. well Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> fed, Federal-wise, in, in federal politics, it was the the it's greatest the constitutional crisis. Yeah. I mean, we all taught this whilst we were going through school. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh, interesting defining moment in Australia's history. Uh, yeah. Probably one of our most turbulent, yeah. turmoil times, at least politically speaking. Uh, has Has Australian politics learned its lesson? From this James or do politicians at least nowadays still keep basically battling each other to the point where they want each other fired and aren't willing to listen to uh, opinions differing from their own and
0: is this something we're seeing a lot more of not necessarily I don't think we'll ever have another 1975 mm-hmm. personally I don't think a monarchy's gonna last long mm-hmm. enough in Australia that happened mm-hmm. just things change it's natural yeah and um I think as much as you see a lot of animosity between the leaders, but you saw when Malcolm Turnbull resigned, Bill Shorten made a public notion of his regards to Turnbull mm. and kept the political hostilities to the side. Yeah, so I don't think there's that much. You know, I'm going to take his job, and mm. I don't give a shit how I do that. Yeah. Anymore. yeah.
2: They seem to be very civil outside of politics, aren't they? Yeah. Like, e- even when they are arguing cross bench in the house, across the you know the opposite sides mm. of the aisle. It is almost in good spirit. Yeah. Like, if I'm, if you're saying something about the Green New Deal and I go, rubbish! No. I know that's not, not, a, not an Australian <laughs> political thing, but if I go, rubbish, then you're going to smile back at me because you know that you've uh, probably seen me outside of politics. One
1: recent incident in terms of Australian politics where it wasn't 100% friendly, and these were two, two minor parties, was uh, David Lighthouse and Sarah... Hansen Young, uh, James, do you have an opinion on what recently happened and uh, yeah, a little bit
0: of a political fallout? I don't think many people can get behind either of those. Yeah, I have no idea how David Lightenheim was elected. I don't think he's... What is his achievements in his position? I don't know. I just don't think the Liberal Democrats are really ever going to do much. Hmm. And um, Senator Hanson Young, I think mean, she's a very... Some of her ideas aren't too bad, but it's just she presents them very passionately and aggressively. Mm. I think that makes a lot of people back and so say like, yeah, I'm not going to get too close to these sorts of ideas. Yeah. I think, um... With this, though, I think it was just this Sarah Hansen-Young and David Linehalgh two very different people who are never going to get along. <laughs> I think that just kind of manifested in a very hostile... and. Enough. Um... Not, not a good look for either, um... Either party, of course. Uh, or, or for either members. You know. Yeah. Um, I think, um, if David Langholm, when he made those comments, he could have kept his mouth shut and avoided it, but that's just my opinion. Was it funny? <laughs> did it... Did it please... was a little bit, but it, it just made you think like, geez, these people are supposed to be part of <laughs> the Country. <laughs> yeah. Like, God, I feel like uh, I'm a teacher in primary school.
2: <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm curious, James... Your passion for Australian politics is probably uh, it's second to none because I, I, I myself and Larry are more interested in the US and you're, you're more historically versed in Australian politics, obviously. Mm. I was just wondering for anyone that wants to, I suppose, be more reinvigorated by Australian politics. Uh, is there any go-to way about it? Do you potentially in the future see yourself going into any political position? Is that the reason why you find it so enticing and
0: you want to, like, immerse yourself in that world, or...? I don't think I'd ever go into politics at a representative level. Okay. But um, what I do think is a good way to, like, sort of... Um, sort of get rid of the sense of disenchantment by what's going on in Canberra mm. Maybe, like, speak to your local s- state MLA or speak to your um, uh, local MP or a senator or someone, because right. a lot of these um, people aren't on the front benches directing all the policies, people who are coming in just as representatives. Yeah. Like, in my electorate of Burt, um, South Indian suburbs, got Matt Keogh. Mm. Very good guy, knows his community well. He grew up there, he lives there, and um, he seems to be very committed to his community, not necessarily like just dictating Australia as a whole. Mm. Yeah, okay. That's that's something
2: I've uh, recently started to get more involved, because I, I know the importance of understanding local politics mm-hmm. and federal politics, and I suppose the enchantment that I have with the US right now is just the personalities. Of
1: course. They're uh, more uh,
2: overt. Uh, They're American, uh, bigger, uh, larger than life, uh, you know.
1: James, could you agree with me on this, is that uh, a lot of what makes US politics so enticing and so interesting to a lot of people is that it is very much like a circus. It's, uh, it's uh, certainly a spectacle, a yeah. sideshow. There's a lot more personality and oomph to it. Whereas Grab Australian it by the politics, <laughs> uh, I think uh, you've illustrated it nicely, is that the personality is on a community level and it doesn't get the spotlight as such. It's, yeah. uh, it's more focused and central to community. And, it's uh, more grassroots. It is more yeah. grassroots in a, in a more calm, civil
0: way. Yeah. That's like, I think, um, I think it's just of these systems that Australia and the United States have. Like in the United States, you go to a presidential election, you are voting for a person, you're voting for that personality. No, yeah. Here, you're just voting for someone who is part of a broader team. Yeah. You're not voting for the prime minister. Like, I hear people all the time going. I oh, do like, we're not short. and I'm like, well, you're not voting, Shot. short. Let's yeah, that's, so, yeah. That,
2: that's funny, because a lot of people aren't aware of that when they first go to vote. When I first went to vote, I literally thought I was voting for the PM. Mm. But then you go there, oh, it's, it's my local guy, mm. who I know nothing about. Exactly. Which is goes back to what James was saying, is to getting to know your local member of MP is mm. probably a good start mm. to understand the ins and outs of the foundational basis of, of local politics, yeah. and then from there upwards. Mm. Yeah.
1: Uh, James, could you give us a brief rundown, uh, your perspective, or just from what you know of uh, history of both of our major parties, just for the viewers at home, so we can get like a brief synopsis of like how they both started, what they're both sort of about in briefest, broadest terms.
2: To more, I think we're focusing on ideologies, right? Yeah, yeah know, okay, okay, a, yeah, yeah, A brief sort of uh, overview of both yeah, parties.
0: Yeah. Well, um, Labour—the history of Labour—is a lot more ter- um, easy to explain than Liberal because mm-hmm. there's been, I many changes on the centre right, but um. Basically, labour. I know WA started off in about 120 years ago in Coolgardie. Mm-hmm. You know all the um, miners in the area, very unionised trade unions. Mm-hmm. Labour's always been the party for trade unions and for workers and this sort of thing. And it's just kind of naturally held on to that um, towards the future. Mm. I guess you could argue in a similar way to UK Labour, but not really sure what's going on there. A a lot problems. Different ends <laughs> A Lot of problems with UK <laughs> Labour at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Um, The whole the
2: whole Brexit thing's a bit.
0: Right, curious. saying he's anti semitism the thing. I'm like, mm. God, the Conservatives could win again. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think? Do you have Do you have an opinion on UKIP and their their new new members? Or, or you've been following UKIP? Or? They seem to be Britain's answer One Nation, that very nationalist. Interesting. Group, yeah. Yes,
2: yes, yes. So w- the contrast we're making is obviously Pauline Hanson, One Nation, and then these YouTube personalities, sort of pro free speech, yep. and I suppose the uh, backlash and combative. Way in which you project that free speech against political correctness is what we're trying to make a point of yeah. with Pauline Hanson and that kind of yeah. contrast. Yeah.
1: To a degree, you can make them comparable figures, but at yeah. the same time,
2: you need to understand the huge differences between both. There are those differences, differences yeah. but there's also similarities. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, personally, Nigel Farage is less prone to saying um, some certain unsavoury things than Pauline Hanson. Um, just see her maiden speech in 1996 for reference. Yeah. That was. Pretty deplorable, mm. and um, I think Nigel Farage. I think he had a history in law, didn't he? Yeah. He just seems to have, you know, naturally gone into politics. But instead of joining, he probably would have joined the Conservative Party if he didn't. If he didn't have this interest in, I want to push my agenda personally, not total party line, So I'm just going to um, start this grassroots movement and make my way through there. Yeah. Um, UKIP seems to be very sort of almost mono-issue sort of party, very Brexit, European Union sort of... Um, but I suppose yeah. they
1: might even have more other issues, so yeah. it sort of brings into light... Um, it's very
2: simplistic right now, yeah, where they yeah. say they've got bigger goals. Yeah.
1: So do you think any political party can just be one issue and survive a, a lengthy period, or do political groups and political parties need more substance to really keep their voters coming back to the polls, so to speak?
0: Um, mono-issue parties, in the long term, I don't think would ever work because, mm-hmm. you know, to govern, you've obviously got to cover a wide base to make sure you're doing everything properly, not just you know, provide some alternative solution or um, try a new approach as opposed to just keep everything the same but changes one thing. Mm-hmm. As you see, um, like with... I think you could argue a mono-issue party here is the Justice Party and they only have um, Darren Hinch, the Senator mm-hmm. for Victoria. That's right. I don't think. Well, the fact that he was seventy-two when he entered, he's naturally not going to be uh, not going to be in parliament very long. Yeah. yeah. It's
2: like Bernie. No. Uh, how many years is this Bernie yeah, happy exactly. if he gets <laughs> in? <Exactly.
0: laughs> I think Bernie will just keep going forever. And then. Like... You love Bernie. I, I I have a soft
2: spot <laughs> for Bernie Sanders.
0: Not think... not with his policies,
2: but I have a soft spot for the man.
0: Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Out of the uh, <laughs> the three main candidates heading in twenty sixteen, when he had. From Clinton and Sanders, Sanders yep. probably the only one who deserves to be up there. He probably it.
2: should have stayed. Mm-hmm. Like, but I like. There was militurant, militurant kind of feminism from Hillary and being a very institutionalized politician.
1: Yeah. I think a lot of
0: kind of went for it. I think, um, Hillary Clinton, establishment figure, a lot of people just took her to a different level, trying to incorporate. Mm-hmm her personality into a lot of their own, um, sort of of their own agenda. That's true. I think I hurt her a little bit in the end, whereas Trump was just... The fact that he's president, God help us. (laughs) I don't think... My um, perspective is I don't think the United States has produced two solid candidates in um, the presidential election since probably 2008. Mm. Before that, let's see, Bush? No. Um, Bush again? No. 1996 is pretty dire. What about Abe? Abe, Abe Lincoln, can we get a board? John F. Kennedy? John F. Kennedy, baby, yeah. Uh, Kennedy, not so much. Okay. I'm a bit of a soft spot for Johnson, but once you remember Vietnam, you're kind of like, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Although, to be fair, that was probably more attributed to his predecessor, than Johnson kind of just went, we're doing this, sure. <laughs> how,
2: how much
0: foreign policy from the US
2: is just a monetary thing? I feel like a lot of the combat, like you mentioned the Vietnam War, a lot of that had to do with uh, the trade of, you know, you've got drugs, you've got money, you've got that whole preconceived notion that the economy will accelerate because of it. But oh, there are people that oppose that view. Mm-hmm. I think it's a very singular, singularistic kind of view on how to bolster the economy mm-hmm. because you're producing me- me- um, weapons of mass destruction and you're trying to colonize to an extent.
0: Yeah. Well, there's a reason that Pax, um, the Pax Americana theory dominated the 20th century. Yeah. That was because America, sort of from FDR onwards, when they entered World War Two, they were kind of like, we're big, we're powerful, we've got a lot of money, yeah. we can become Britain 2.0. Yeah. yeah. Just without directly colonizing and just, you know, Britain's strategy go to some distant land, plant a flag, and just say, fuck you all, the people living here, this is our land now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and um, Britain's yeah. just kind of like, we're going to um, start paying off this separatist group and we're going to cause a civil war. And then when the country's turned to absolute shit and everyone wants to leave, we're just going to stay out of it from then on. That's the brutal honest truth
2: about it, to be fair. I mean, for a lot a lot of this is is murky, depending on your stance on whether you're pro-war or you're against it. I'm, I'm a pacifist. Uh, first and foremost. Well, when's
0: war ever a good thing? Uh, yeah,
2: that that song. Well, what is it good for? Absolutely nothing. Mm. That, that kind of... It comes back to that. Larry, do you have any, any kind of say with the kind of Vietnam, Vietnam
1: War? Vietnam? Uh, yeah. I think it was brought in with the worst kind of circumstances. Very propagandised, right? Uh, Very propagandized. Of course, it was hugely propagandised. Yeah. Um, yeah, I believe. I don't... Nixon's particular focus on it was disgusting. You know, JFK was basically the one who started it. Yeah let's be honest, and uh, the illusion that communism would have taken over Vietnam in that particular period of time where it was capitalism versus communism as the main propaganda that was put out there, it, it's interesting at least to look back with hindsight how much bullshit was just put into into uh, the Vietnam War yeah. particularly and yeah. a whole generation of people were you know, psychologically destroyed, a whole country was burnt to the ground, napalmed, and the publicity towards it, and the effect it had on the population and the people at the time was just uh, horrific. So I don't, I don't know necessarily one hundred percent why we did Vietnam or why Australia was even involved in Vietnam. Um, it, was a, it
0: was a proxy war because this is a, a proxy war. This ties back to the Menzies, um, mm. the Menzies dynasty, if you will. Mm. And, um, Basically, Robert Menzies was very, keep everything in the status quo, America's our ally since mm. the war, we're going to do everything we can to serve them. Mm. And then when Menzies went, oh shit, I'm 71, I'm going to retire. And he um, pushed Harold Hold as his successor. Mm. The only way, the main thing that got him re-elected was Vietnam and Australia's commitment to that. Mm. So Menzies started the conscription that we got rid of um, way back up, I think, the First World War. Mm. And um, he basically used that to sort of suck up to America. Yeah. And well, I think Australia had some threat this is going to come. Yeah, mm. so it's, it's like a unified yeah. thing, isn't it? Mm. Because
2: people are trying to group together, oh, we're going to war, therefore we need to support the figure that is allied with the US and that bolsters our strength mm. and, and makes us less vulnerable to attack.
0: That mm. was also why Australia was the first country to recognise Indonesia. Because mm. um, the, the Sukarno regime was very anti-communist, they just went, right, we're going to support mm. them. They're our neighbour. They're going to keep communism away. Everything's going to be good. But now, I think in hindsight, we the benefit of hindsight. Well, most of those former communist countries, they've turned well away from that. They're just going to go right. We're just going to stick to the status quo. what every country has moderate market capitalism, mm-hmm. some free or some more um, planned and social democratic. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was just sort of shifting think we've just passed that shift. Like we were talking in 1965, mm-hmm. probably pro-Vietnam so we're going, the domino effect, They're going if Vietnam falls, then so will Burma, so will Malaya, mm-hmm. so will India, mm-hmm. so will Indonesia. And yeah.
1: yeah, and then it'll be right on our doorstep sort of thing. Well, that was the, the fear at the time. Well, I think Australia
0: going communist was as likely as, let's say, Bob Catter becoming Prime Minister, let's yep. face it. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Australia's thrived under this sort of um, modern... Um, capitalist, capitalist second model, and I don't think anyone would have forgotten that unless, unless a great depression happened even harder. Mm. But even then, we probably just get a Labour government, which isn't communist at all. James, <laughs> I'm
2: curious what you think of this statement I'm about to make. So it's Bill Shorten's election to lose. Now, I, I believe that's the case, but why? Because I, I believe you've got more insight into the Labour Party than I do. Mm-hmm. I'm a, a little lit, little less impartial on the matter. When it comes to Australian politics, I was just curious as to um, what you think are the, the key uh, selling points, if I had to put it in commerce terms, <laughs> for, for the, the Labour Party
0: in terms of um, yeah, just policies or something. that's great. I think, um, let's just face it, whoever loses the election, their leader has gone. Okay. Straight away. Yep. I don't think the Liberal Party has a particular great amount of faith in Scott Morrison to start off with. I mean, he only got 45 out of um, 85 votes. Yeah. And he just wandered into the lodge that way yeah. and um, I think with what labor're focusing on, you see living standards in Australia, are the lowest they've been since I think Howard's first term, which was okay. 20 years ago, yeah. um, wages haven't grown pretty, haven't grown in real terms at all mm-hmm. and um, you know things like customer penalty rates really haven't helped that either. Sure. and then you've also got um, housing mar- um, the housing market is just got. Becoming more and more unaffordable, yeah. and I think a lot of this could be due to investment, like with the mining boom. A lot of people from within the state and from outside were just buying up all these properties and jacking up the prices. Some, up. some <laughs> sort of quasi market regulation
2: yeah. is that is that pretty much what we're getting? Yeah, yeah. I can
0: see this with the um, their changes to negative gearing. Sure. This isn't going to affect people who've already invested. They're safe. If you invest before the first of January twenty twenty, if Labor gets in, you'll be perfectly fine everything will just stay the same. But after that, I don't think, um, I think it's established homes won't um, be negatively geared to so discourage yeah. people from investing because it's um, a lot riskier. Okay. I think it just make you know, um, especially for like, our generation, buying houses more affordable, which I think is a good thing because um, home ownership's becoming a very. Um, almost a life dream. Yeah. It's a difficult thing considering it's
2: the family unit in the social fabric of, you know, having the husband and wife, millennials are very independent, very, I'm not going to say self-centered, but that we're certainly living in a very individualistic manner. Like it, Self-focus. and I suppose that two-income household is less apparent. Mm. There certainly are evidence of it, and there are people that I know that do it, but the long-term jeopardy of that is probably less so than, say, our parents. It's
1: a bit of a... Our parents kind scenarios. of shacked
2: up in yeah. high school, got together... Mm. Raise the jobs, money, stable jobs, exactly. Whereas where we pray, we focus more on mm. educational uh, prospects and and doing something that we love, the whole passion dream. Yeah, you know, yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. I think so, I think to a certain extent, yes. I don't think that's the case for everyone because you see, yeah, even lenders um, as they get old, oh, they still you know want to get married and then they're not having kids. We're naturally having less kids than our parents, but that's just because things like well, you said careers and. I think a lot of people don't have time anymore. That's true. That's very true. It's 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 really
2: shattering, I suppose, from both male and female perspectives that if you go really hard-line on your career, that you do have to make some life trade-offs. You've got to
1: make sacrifices.
0: You do. Especially with wages not growing at all and everything's still costing more people having to work more and they haven't got time to go run kids around. and yeah. Lots of, I think um, we're going to see a lot of grandparents starting a, a lot more... Help in raising their kids more than ever because of this. Mm, yeah. that's, a, that's, that's certainly an
1: interesting uh, idea, at least from a social perspective. How uh, how economics is affecting us socially. Yeah. And how it will affect politics also. Yeah. Uh, in in from a historical sense, uh, being that we're all in WA, uh, WA is often be called the um, from a historical point, and the idea of Western Australian secession. Uh, from a uh, federal, a oh. uh, federal system. Yes. <laughs> do you think this is is this something worth talking about, even, or is this this was something that happened eons ago? That is this because we're getting on GST. Is yeah. that is
2: that is that part of of the deal that, the, is, that Victoria is, and New South Wales get more of the goods and services hmm. tax than we is, do? Is,
1: is this something that often politicians uh, in both Labor and Liberal? Use specifically if they are trying to get WA votes is the idea of returning GST and tax uh, money to WA. Would you would you have an opinion on this?
0: Well, case? well, the GST situation, mm-hmm. the thirty-three cents of the dollar one has directly <coughs> because of the Barnett government, yep. especially with um, trading off for mining excises and these sorts of things. And um, I think uh, the McGowan government, um, one of the platforms they got in on was um, when they inherited that huge amount of debt, they raised the flag that. It's because of the Barnett government that mm. uh, we're not getting um, our fair share. So mm. seventy cents in the GST, which is double what we were getting. Mm. Um, they've committed to that and they've pushed for the federal government to say, "We're getting this. Mm. I don't care." And um, it's come through, so it's up just there. And I think I think that these sort of circumstances where people are feeling disenchanted by what's going on as a whole, Labor comes in and that's where these sort of reforms come back into it.
2: Yeah,
0: I think um, Bill Shorten is also. Um, throughout 2016 was, I'm pushing quite hard for this um, GST reform in Western Australia. I think um, in hindsight he really should have performed a lot better than he did in WA and he would have been in government if that was the case Mm -hmm. and um, yeah I think, I really think that, um, I don't think WA secessionism would ever work, it just simply would not. We are a very small country by population, or we've got his resources, and yes. if we resources we would...
2: are limited. I'm pretty sure, right? So, so right. we'll run out eventually. Especially we, we'll, we'll have a good time for for a while, yeah. and then we'll, well probably we... come crying back to the other states.
0: In 30 years, we will have used up all of our iron ore. Mm. So um, there goes that massive sector of the economy, mm. and you know, petroleum's starting to get on the heels of its way out, mm. which is probably a good thing because. Or doesn't last forever, and it takes literally hundreds of million year, millions of years, years to make. Yeah. So it's not like we can make more. Mm. And um, yeah, I think if we succeed, we become Banana Republic.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's it, that's it. I was just wondering, in your stance when it comes to policy reform, James, is taxation the only way to do it? Because I we're very libertarian. I, I do think that taxation to an extent is theft. Um, when it comes to that, so I'm just I'm curious if there is any kind of government policy that could be enforced external to taxpayer dollar, and if that's even viable, or is that too utopian for me to even mention?
0: Well, you get the argument with um, protectionism, but in the long term, that's not very um, yeah. beneficial to the economy. You kind of get this roaring 20s scenario, then the ship well and truly hits the fan by the end of it. Yeah, okay. Um, I think taxation reform is the main way to do it because that's the government's source of income after all. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I'm just curious because I I really wonder how independent a party can be within their own capacity to function through other fundraising means, mm. maybe not necessarily 100% taxation dependent. But, I mean, I'm very hard right on economic policy.
0: Mm. So. I think... Um, I think a good way to sort of make these reforms, I don't sort of like this broad base, mm. um, everything everyone pays the same sort of taxation. Like, um, this is Australia well and truly rejected the GST, they mm. see that's what won Keating the 1993 election when he had his um like 20% approval, mm. and the fact that John Hewson, um, he was very arrogant about economic reform, although Keating, <laughs> um. Love Keating though. Great Prime Minister, very underrated. <laughs> and, um, and you see, when John Howard said GST's dead and buried, and then he introduced it in 2000, his popularity sunk very hard and it took 9 yeah. 11 and Tampa to bring it back up. Yeah. And um So it's obvious, yeah. obviously no
2: one likes tax.
0: That's why <laughs> I'm, nobody, I'm, that's, that's a, a be given. I think that's, that's a, a given. That's <laughs> why I like this idea of not giving out these franking credits because they're effectively a handout. We spent more on and um, those franking credits in the last financial year that we did on education.
2: I just, I just want to just, just so our viewers know, franking credits for those who are unaware, is that what's the simple way? Of it's um, it?
0: basically the government um pays. The government pays a return on investments, as in like um, sharehold, Oh, you know, shareholder. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. So yep. eventually, you are getting tax back for tax you're not paying. Okay. True, true. And we are the only country in the world that has a system like that. Yeah. I think that points back to Howard. Not my favourite Prime Minister, as you can tell. Mm. I think, um... Oh, Johnny. <laughs> Not
1: our Johnny boy, mate. Johnny. He's great at the cricket, <laughs> don't you know?
0: Oh, I
2: don't know. <laughs> oh, I, 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 was, I was too young to even give an afterthought about Howard. Was for some seven. reason, I liked him.
0: I, I was seven when he got voted out. <laughs> no. <laughs> Although um, Kevin Rudd was a bit of a dud, I still I will still praise the
2: generation. Kevin Rudd was a run bit of a dud, dud man. Rudd the yeah. dud. It's
0: no coincidence that it right. rhymes. Yeah. I yeah, think yeah. um... this. <laughs> I think the worst decision Australia's ever made as a whole was re-electing that government in, 2000, in 2001. Yeah. So I think um, when you look at Kim Beasley's campaign launch, those economic reforms, they would have put us 30 Beasley. years I ahead. haven't
2: heard that name in ages, Kim Beasley, yeah. Oh. fucking Beasley. That's it, that's it. He
0: would have been the second West Australian Prime Minister ever after John Curtin, even though he's not from here. Yeah.
2: <laughs> James, just, just to switch it up a little bit. What are your thoughts on the whole Julian Assange thing? I'm sure you, you know a little mm. bit. Uh, Larry and I have our have our stance on it because we're very much pro free speech. Interest? Oh yeah. I'm still deciding in my mind whether I think Julian Assange is a hero or not. Uh, to an extent, maybe. To, 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 to me, hey, look, I don't know. He's it's murky. Not
1: the, he's not the one doing the sleuthing. He's yeah. getting given the information and yeah. just making it public information. Now I don't think that should be a crime, but. Even though,
2: yes, it's... Certain information should be covered up. Like, oh, yeah, of Names, course. address, phone numbers. But at the
1: same time, if you're just uncovering the corruption that lies within government and yep. you're um, uncovering the sort of the truth of facts and matters... Deep and secrets and need to be exposed yeah, within, the absolutely. State, within the state, for sure. Absolutely, and I don't, I don't agree with uh, a lot of people by saying that Julian Assange is a Russian spy, considering he himself did.
0: That just seems the ultimate cop-out. Yeah,
1: out. yeah. <laughs> it, it seems like it's, it's almost... Uh, propaganda from a, from yeah. a deep, deeper state that wants to keep its secrets.
0: I'm not Julius Sanders' biggest fan. I think the way he's acted since he's been locked up in the Ecuadorian embassy, he's been very arrogant and very, um, yeah, he, um, acting a bit like a child. But I think throwing he's throwing some
2: feces like a monkey, apparently. I think um, he's gone. Very, music. I
0: think he's just so vitamin D deficient that he's he's just gone completely off the rails. <laughs> yeah, he's got no, enough sun.
1: I would, I would argue that... Does that mean that he deserves to be basically locked up in prison for just revealing information?
0: I'm a bit undecided about this one, actually. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I haven't looked into the Assange case very much at all, so I'm not actually uh, sure of the ins and outs. It, it, it almost seems like two against one. I, I am for
1: Julian Assange. I'm i want him to go free, just get a slap on the list yeah. fine. Uh, or two I am
0: years
2: still in prison, on the fence. I still f- don't think the, he should go to prison. The, the only reason I am on the fence with it mm. is because WikiLeaks has only made one leap of faith when it came to the exposure and the early release of the Hillary emails yeah. which had various private details which they didn't want to leak. Mm. Someone got a hold of this Julian did make his attempt to try and contact the Clinton um, you know, political establishment yeah. uh, in, intelligentsia or whatever yeah. you want to call it and they didn't take the required action. Now it comes to the question of whether an elite person, just because they are deep in the state, should have their private secrets exposed. Now, I think there are certain details that should come to light, but when it comes to information which can be doxable and threatable, they're still a human being at the end of the day. I don't care how corrupt or powerful they are, they're still a human being. But that's that's my stance. So I still think he's necessary. I still think he's slightly a hero. I don't think he's a full hero. No. Yeah, I don't think it's... His hands aren't completely clear. No, I don't yeah. think there are many people... And it's he, got, got dirt on them. Yeah. I mean, among other
1: them. things. Yeah, I get, amongst other things, there's yeah. probably a lot of other things on his hands. <laughs> yeah. um, James, any thoughts on
0: that? On well, I think if he's releasing people's sensitive information, then yeah, he probably should be in jail, because that's a threat breach of people's um, privacy, and you know you don't want people prying into these sorts of things It opens it up to... My, yeah. my
1: question would be, yeah. Is uh, at what point do you say people's individual rights in privacy are being breached not necessarily even by them or with their knowledge but without their knowledge
2: yes okay so in terms of what social media services yeah, that we're already using exactly i i would hasten to add that every time that i google something mm. or every time i make a phone call or do you know google voice assistant that there are some sort of algorithm that's doing some background work so they can replicate some sort of ad so i can buy something mm. I mean, the other, uh, about a month ago, I lost my car. It was stolen, and right. and the next day, someone advertised me GPS car, um, uh, GPS car technology. Yeah. So you know, so I can keep. There those moments
0: me. when you just think, "Fuck it, I'm going off the grid, I'm living in a treehouse. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to build a treehouse, then program so I'm going to live there and fall for the rest of my life." <laughs> Yeah, 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 we should all become cave people. Like, (laughs) take your phone, just ditch in the nearest river, and just run and keep running until you die. That's it, that's
2: (laughs) it. But but I suppose the point that we're bringing it down to is at what point is the privacy speech too much? Mm. At what point does free speech impeach on the state, Mm. and how far should that go? Yeah. Uh, I I don't know who should be the universal decider of that because the question of morality is different from your viewpoint and your viewpoint. Yeah, morality is subject to
0: yeah objective truth. Well, I think um, free speech it starts to impede on people's safety and security, whether it be physical or yeah. um, if you're going to open up people to attack or um, their financial details are being leaked. And yeah. mm-hmm. I think that's that's just straight up criminal because that open you. Yeah, Basically, up, especially with these government officials, if you really don't like them, you're trying to, like, mm. coax people into launching some sort of attack on them.
2: It kind of makes me think, how much information does the state keep from us because they feel as though we can't handle it? I think in Australia, not so much. I mean, We're pretty... Maybe not in Australia,
0: yeah. Australia and New Zealand quite transparent, but if you go to, say, the United States, so this a um, lot of the things that um, certain... Uh, research agencies uh, um, purported to have conducted during the twentieth century. I think, um, media matters and alike. Yeah, yeah. I don't think Crazy. that would, that would probably fling some sort of at least separatist sort of movement somewhere. Like I don't know, Tex. Like if they started committing some big um, experiment on Texans or someone, and mm. they didn't know about this, they probably launch some secessionist movement. Going right, can't touch. us if we leave. Yeah. Mm. And um. But to in extreme circumstance, maybe some ride in the streets or Yeah. It is it is a grey area. But
2: Yeah, okay, fine, I'm gonna say it. Julian Sarge hero. For now. For I might now. I might look for back now. I might look back on this podcast okay. later and say, What were you thinking? I, mean, I don't but know. But for now hero
0: for now. Well in that case, just delete and start over. <laughs> ah, here we go, here we go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, no, Sarge might find it again. Yeah,
2: do, do, that brings me to just one thing I want to bring up. The idea of internet deletion. Considering we're all leaving a digital footprint per se. First of all, I know that the cyber trails, so to speak, in the colloquial terms, yeah. are always left behind, even when you do delete a photo from Facebook, a video from Instagram or, or YouTube, wherever. Mm. At what point can we actually impose regulation that's actually with the time? Mm. Because it's lagging behind. Yeah. And we've spoken about this before. Yeah,
1: you know. I, I suppose you know, 24 hours is a long time in politics, but 24 hours in times... Technology is a. nothing, but yeah. Larry's uh, number one. That's a good point. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> uh, James, would you happen to agree with me that politics is not taking technology as seriously as it should be?
0: Not necessarily. Mm-hmm. I think um, the way that politicians conduct themselves, they're trying to act in ways that they wouldn't want to be seen, mm-hmm. photographed, or don't go to this event and feel with this person or else. Someone's so they're a little catch bit aware it, of their yeah. own
1: privacy, is that what you're well, I
0: think it just goes for anyone. You wouldn't yeah. want to be seen somewhere that could damage you in the future, or mm. like if Bill Sean went to Ballin' Hands' campaign launch, very broad mm. example, he was just going to yeah. listen, just think, what shit is she going to say now? Someone will go, oh shit! Take a photo. He's supporting her. Yeah, sort of. Yeah.
2: It's almost like being at a party and not wanting to be with the shady character well, at the, the party. Exactly. That bad social proof in that environment. That's exactly right. I think Larry, is there anything that we need to bring up? Furthermore, with mm-hmm. the world's current political trends, news, or anything,
1: anything uh, in you, the Again, we've talked about the India election. I've yes. Yes.
0: Yeah, um, James, do you have a take? Are you influence. following or? Yeah. I know their election is absolutely massive. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and there's this is weird um, situation someone brought to me because the rules in India, no one should have to travel more than two kilometers to a polling booth. So they have a lot of these polling booths in regional areas for one person. Yeah. They got someone to man that all day just so one person to come vote. <laughs> so it'll be like nine hundred million people voting on the same day. Mm. Yeah. Their electorates have millions of people it's each. Huge. Huge. Trying to enter politics in India, like if you can do it, great job. But like. <laughs> Seems like almost so far out of reach compared to like Australia or New Zealand or mm. somewhere that just trying to represent such a broad group of people in India is very constantly it's, diverse. and It's very yeah. huge
2: because the Hindu Nationalist Party, they're trying to get about 900 votes. They mm. want to be, he wants to be like the 900 million vote man, he mm. wants to be that, that absolute titan mm. within uh, Indian politics. But when it comes to the voting system, as we've seen, we brought up in previous episodes, that some people and civilians of the population aren't literate in some of the symbols of the political parties. Therefore, their votes are confused. They don't know exactly what they're doing. Mm. And the way in which they're doing it is probably, I say, outdated, but necessary. Because with an election of that size, all it takes is one cyber attack mm. and you've rigged it.
0: Right, and that's it. Yeah. Comes so back to that whole Russian collusion conspiracy. Oh, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> here we go. Yep. I mean, they found nothing, but I think in some ways, like not direct involved, but I think a lot of these like advertising bots and like trying to stack out um, yeah. the Republican candidate's Twitter feeds and all these sort of things to sort of push them ahead of the Democratic mm. Party. I think that was definitely a key factor in, yeah. especially this sort of target advertising sort yeah. of um, world we live in.
2: During, during, we're obviously referring to the Mueller report on Donald Trump and whether there was collusion or not. and There there obviously wasn't. It's a big nothing, but It's a big nothing, and (laughs) CNN, MSNBC, all of these news corporations are just propaganda machines. Mm. Now, I've got nothing against propaganda per se. Sorry, I'll take that back. I've got a lot against propaganda, but persuasion. Mm. There's nothing wrong with persuasion. But when it gets to the point where we found nothing, but no, we're going to keep going with it. This mm. doesn't mean that he's not impeachable. Well, impeach him. You're going to do something about it or what? Like, seriously, if you really hate the guy I mean, that has, much...
1: They have no proof that they can't impeach him. Well, exactly, him.
0: exactly. They've got nothing. Well, the thing with Donald Trump is, um, the way he acts, he's going to do something that will get him impeached Oh, exactly. exactly. He'll <laughs> just... <laughs> he's so prone to like acting without thinking, I think, that he's going to do something really fucking dumb that's going to damage America yeah, irreparably and yeah. then he's going to
2: go, ah, I, you're I do like Ben <laughs> Shapiro's take on Trump. He said, yeah, why blame yeah. it on you know irreverence when you can blame it on stupidity? Yeah. Because, because well, Donald Trump isn't a politician.
0: He <laughs> should not be president. It's just that simple. I know a lot of people Spicy like cake. him. <laughs>
2: but...
0: Um, <laughs> Well, he has no experience in this field. He has no experience in government. He's a... Should
1: that stop somebody from being the I, president? I...
0: Well, I think when you're in charge of such a large country that holds such a lot of sway, you've got to understand how the country operates properly instead of just... Oh, I'm going to agenda. a
2: massive ball in this conversation because I heard some news recently in Ukraine. Yes. It looks like a comedian's going to become their Have they not already
1: finished their election. Well, now. it's
2: almost done, oh. but it looks like the comedian's very much in the lead and will become, become a a president power. Of the president A Ukraine. comedian is going to be a ruler of Ukraine. That's what it looks like, for all intents and purposes. Now, that brings us Christ. back... It brings, it, brings, it, brings, exactly. it brings us to the point. Does the person necessarily need to be political on the basis that they can reform the institution and the state that might be a little bit prehistoric in some ways? I'm not saying the ways in which the country... Uh, Countries globally are run are all incorrect, but there's a little bit of dust forming, for sure.
0: Mm. Sure. I think just because uh, Ukraine's been in such a state of instability for so long that um, you're obviously going to get these sorts of characters come through. Mm. I think um, especially they're yeah, under a massive amount of threat from Russia at the moment. Like yeah, Vladimir Putin is one. I think it's just one negative comment made about him by a Ukrainian away from just going, right, you are got to send him the entire million troops and he's going to fuck the country up again.
2: Yes,
0: like, you've seen this in Crimea, it's already happened. And all the Russian troops stationed on the border, Ukraine's just shitting itself going, right, um, we've got to do whatever we can to not get invaded. Yeah. <laughs> I like the idea of a comedian in the office. Well I made... the only reason is because comedians do tell some sort of truth within their jokes. Well I made a joke <laughs> I made a joke the other day I said to someone, make Neil Goldhart Car premier of New South Wales. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly I think you do a better job than Barry Gyxley never could, but really really
2: Alright, well anyway guys, thank you so much for watching. Uh, we've got our um, PayPal links in the description below. That's all going towards camera equipment, mics and and really upscaling this podcast. Thank you so much, James, for coming on the podcast. No worries, it's been an absolute freaking pleasure. Will include... Uh, do
0: you want to promote anything in particular or drop a plug? I only think Bill Shorten, um, he should be the Prime Minister by the end of this year. And, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. There we go. That's just something I'm to say. I think his Liberal government's done, especially in the Morrison, what good will they, have they achieved and will they ever achieve? I think Bill Shorten's got all the right ideas, and especially in these circumstances... Why not give him a go? It's
2: been a brilliant podcast, and I'm sure everyone that's watched this one knows a little bit more about Australian politics. Exactly. And
0: we've shed some light on it. Thanks for the information. Thanks, James. No, no worries. worries. Appreciate Thanks it, guys. Me out. Cool. Mm-hmm.